new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Read all of our stories over at michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Got lots of Big Ten tournament preview content. There's some football stuff going on as well as as they are, uh, I think, entering technically the second half of spring practices. Weird as that sounds to say in the second week of March, but they're trying to get in early this year. But regardless, on, on my end, lots of basketball stuff. I have a story um, on the site looking at the, the biggest question marks Michigan must address in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, look at Eli Brooks, uh, a story on the fans. Michigan fans will be able to see Michigan in person for the first time all, all season. Uh, and, and, and then some other stuff looking at Michigan and Maryland in the quarterfinals on Friday. But But this podcast maybe it's a a bit of a preview slash slight refresher on on where things are at with Michigan just kind of kind of resetting everything ahead of the postseason so Steve we're just going to answer four quick ones we're going to look at the biggest question Michigan must answer this weekend either for to do well in the Big Ten tournament or for the big picture in general Uh, player on the spot looking at a couple storylines there uh team that is not an obvious team that might be able to give the Wolverines a scare or maybe even upset Michigan in the Big Ten tournament and then obviously our predictions for the weekend I will be down there in Indianapolis going to be kind of an interesting event there will be fans but obviously a lot will be different but Steve let's let's start looking at the at I guess where Michigan is at so they started out 18 and 1 Really, I mean, they were unquestionably one of the top two or three teams in the country. And and a lot of people were arguing they should be number one. I know a lot of Michigan fans were vouching for that. And then they went one and two. And one of the losses, I think, is is okay. I mean, neither loss was like, you know, push the panic button bad. One was to another really, really elite team on a night with that Illinois was taking a lot more personally than Michigan. The other was... To Michigan State on the road, which in itself is not necessarily a bad loss. Uh, Illinois also lost at Michigan State. Ohio State lost at Michigan State. But uh, and it also was meaningless in terms of the Big Ten standings. It's probably a game Michigan, I mean, in addition to the injury to Eli Brooks, I, I, I could imagine they had a difficult time pushing forth the same energy. But one and two, and it certainly raises a lot of questions. I have a story Looking at all of them, we'll talk about a couple of the player-specific ones, uh, but a couple of the team ones that come up to me are how does this team handle missing a player or finding some more depth because you do need depth to do well in the postseason in all likelihood. Uh, You know, is the defense slipping? Is complacency an issue? The players have suggested that might be a concern. So, Steve, looking at this, what – um, what is the biggest question Michigan must answer 
both for the big picture of the postseason and also for maybe the micro sense of if they want to actually advance to the title game like they're favored to, what, what questions does Michigan need to answer? Uh, I, I want to see, you know, how Dickinson kind of responds. I thought is where he looked completely out of sorts in the rematch against Michigan State. You know, Wagner really picked it up. Him and Wagner played very poorly in the first half. Wagner picked it up in the second half, was an asset for them. But Dickinson never really got truly going uh, until like, in like I was going to say points. there, there yeah. was some garbage. I don't want to call it garbage time because the game was still in doubt, but it was very late. You know, yeah, he did a couple, got a couple and ones. Um, and maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe that'll get him going. Uh, but not not feeling like he's, you know, he's kind of been viewed as the team's best player, I think, from at least the national level, right? I mean, he um, did finish the regular season as a leading scorer, correct? And uh, But I, I just don't feel like he's been their best player the last few games. So in a tournament-type setting, I forgot before we recorded, I forgot they actually did play Maryland twice. For some reason, I felt like they only played them once, but it's because they were both so long ago. Uh, and you noted he only scored three points in the rematch, even though Maryland size wise feels like a team he should have some success against. Uh, yeah. So they of, don't have anyone in their rotation. Now they have like, I think they have a couple bench guys who are, who are a little taller, but in terms of like players that they'll play more than five or 10 minutes in a game, I don't, I don't believe they have anyone taller than six, seven, six, eight, which is crazy because they produced what was Fernando a first round pick. He was, wasn't he? I don't know. He was really good. Yeah, him and well, him and you had two two six ten plus guys, and him and Jalen Smith. They get drafted. You think they'd have reinforcements uh, down low, but either way, in what I would call a favorable matchup for him tomorrow. Interested to see if he can kind of get back going to being consistent. And yeah, the other thing is, I think is that definitely the depth question, which kind of plays into the whole. And we saw it, you know, saw it in this first game today between Michigan State and Maryland, and we definitely saw it in the game between Michigan State and Michigan on in East Lansing. You know, how does Michigan handle a tightly officiated game? Because they don't have, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about depth. We've talked about we don't know what the Brooks situation is. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to even speculate either way. Let's just say he doesn't play tomorrow. They're already not a deep team, even when he's healthy puts a ton of pressure on Chandy Brown and Zeb Jackson, who did have some decent playing time in the season finale. But either way, if the game is called tightly, how does Michigan respond and handle it? Uh, I think that's going to be something to really watch because it's, to me, it's the ultimate variable and Michigan has a few things, particularly depth wise that could, that can hurt them more than I think it hurts a normal elite team in that situation, particularly if Dickinson gets in foul trouble. Because Austin Davis, I just really don't think is – he's good for a couple baskets, but really defensively has has not been spectacular. Um, he seems to play up and down, I guess would be the best way to put it. Uh, you know, and, and not a guy that – by design, I don't think Michigan wants to have to rely on him for long stretches. So, you know, add that onto the fact where I think Brown becomes incredibly important for Michigan now uh, because he can play good defense – on the perimeter, or at least not, I don't think he's Eli Brooks, but he is an asset defensively, you know, so he's another guy where, you know, can he give them a little more offensively, more consistently? So 
that's like more than three questions. It's like eight questions, but um, either way that the, the biggest ones to me though, are, I want to see how Dickinson comes out in a tournament like setting where the, the stakes are a little bit higher, you know, still a true freshman, but I think he's grown out of that shell for sure. And then how does, how does Michigan, if it pops up, how do they respond in a tightly officiated game? Yeah. I like that tightly officiated. I might, I might uh, include that in the, I guess, footnotes to my, to my story on the questions. Cause I, I, I want to look up and see what the stats are on games where Michigan commits, I don't know, say more than 15 fouls. Do they have success? Uh, it, it certainly, certainly felt like against Iowa, Illinois and Michigan state, even when they beat Michigan state, it was when, when they committed a bunch of fouls, that's when it was close. Um, so that's something to consider. But, but to me, I think the big one is the depth uh, and, and that's somewhat related to the fouls, but, I, uh, the fact that the only two games they didn't have all five starters healthy and like a major part of the game, they lost and they are 18, 19 and one in all other games with their only loss coming to a top five team. I mean, that says this is a team that, that when things click, uh, it really clicks. I mean, this is a team that, that understands how it can be successful, but doesn't understand. And, and I guess maybe doesn't understand is, is not the right way to put it. They haven't proven that they don't, that they understand how to be successful when things go wrong. They've had a couple comeback wins. Uh, you know, with the Wisconsin one, I think is the, is the most memorable, but, but at the same time, it, it, it has looked rough all season when more than say one bench player is in the game. And sometimes it's looked rough when one bench player is in the game. I mean, Eli Brooks, think about this in his, he's played about three fourths of Michigan's minutes this year. And his, I want to say it's 647 minutes. Michigan is outscoring opponents by 248. In all the other minutes that he hasn't played, the 250 and change, whatever it is, Michigan's only outscored opponents by nine all season. And, and really, I mean, Franz Wagner has a, has a 200 plus minus uh, or one that exceeds 200 Isaiah livers, Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. I, I haven't, I, I think Mike Smith's is up there as well. And so it's um, you know, what does this team, how does this team do? And, and, you know, we're not going to speculate on injuries, but if you were to speculate, you know, Hunter Dickinson said, we're going to miss him regarding Eli Brooks. Uh, you know, Franz didn't sound particularly, optimistic a team spokesman is able to confirm that that he was still in a boot and not practicing so my if there were a speculation well you know where that would go and so yeah this is going to be a team that's going to have to figure out how to do things and and i will say in the long run that's important too even if brooks returns michigan's best ncaa tournament teams have had a lot of depth you'll think about 2013 um you know, they had like what three NBA draft picks on the bench. Now, not all of them were playing at that level just yet, but you know, and then, then they also had Spike Albrecht. Uh, you know, they also had Jordan Morgan in 2018. It was Duncan Robinson. It was John Teske having a pretty signature postseason moment. Jordan Poole, uh, I think his postseason presence goes without question. Jerron Simmons had 10 points in the first round game. You know, so it's it's um, it's important. You probably do need to be eight or nine deep 
in, in the sense of who can step up and help you in the postseason. Now, it might literally be the difference between in one game, but that's that's kind of how that's the nature of the postseason. You know, Michigan, suppose they are a one seed. Yeah, I think they'll beat the first team no matter who's on their team. Pretty decent odds they would beat an eight, nine seed in that situation. But then it's it's the second weekend that I guess we're referring to because there's a big difference between making a sweet 16 and making a final four in terms of how you're remembered, how the postseason is viewed. Uh, so it's yeah, to me, it's the depth. I think there's a I think there's several questions. I think the one and two finish definitely again doesn't mean the team stinks, but it does raise some eyebrows in terms of well, how do they pick up the pieces? Because everything went perfectly pretty much all season and now things are starting to unravel a little bit uh totally agree on the hunter dickinson point in in the second time he's faced teams this season he's only averaging 8.3 points per game in all other games he's averaging north of 15 and so that's something he's going to have to overcome is is what happens when teams know who he is in fact in his first 11 games of the season he averaged over 17 points per game in the second 11 games, which is not some small sample size statistic. He's averaging only 11 points per game and shooting 30 percentage points worse from the field from like a 75 to a 45. So yeah, there's, there's plenty of questions. We'll have to see how they do. Steve, if you could pick one player who is on the spot in, in your mind. And so this can be either, a player who needs to step up, you know, thinking about the bench players uh, or, or, or some of the role players on the team or a player that has maybe been trending in the wrong direction, that this is a big weekend for him. Dickinson is one Isaiah livers quietly. Another one, three straight single digit scoring efforts uh, to close the season after averaging 15.1 points per game in his previous 10 games. What's a player that you think in your mind is really, really, really key to Michigan having a quote unquote successful weekend in Indianapolis this week? I think I'm going to go with Mike Smith. Um, Limit the turnovers, score the basketball. I think his added scoring will be very important. Again, let's just say, let's just theorize that Brooks does not play. I think Smith's scoring becomes more important, and he has to be passable on the defensive end because he's not going to have any easy matchups. You know, and and that guard play a lot of times, and that's, that's another area where I think having Brooks back for the big tournament is way more important than trying to rush him back if they win tomorrow or win Friday or whatever, if they make a run in the big 10 tournament, I think having him back for the, because guard play and experience are like some of the, are two of the big, always seem to be the two common or two of the biggest factors for like teams that make deep tournament runs, you know, and Smith could really maybe use this experience this weekend uh, as a guy. Now, like we said, who's now starting to know what it feels like to win to kind of assert himself a little bit as a, you know, a guy that can maybe help carry Michigan in a couple situations, you know, because I think, you know, turnovers have been a little up and down. I think they improved it for a while. I think I could be wrong. Felt like the last couple games, 
not as good. Uh, but the other thing is, like I said, he can score. And and that's his mid-range ability off of the pick-and-roll type stuff can really open things up for Dickinson to give him some one-on-one type looks and, and at least or open up the lanes for him to make some good, you know, because he's made, he knows how to make some really good passes. They do have a good one-two thing working there, you know, and that can open a lot of other things up. So I'm, I'm actually going to go – I don't know if most people would say Smith, but I'm kind of feeling like for Smith, not because not saying he's trending down or needs a rebound or anything like that. I just think for me, he's kind of the guy, you know, that I think can really make a difference for Michigan this weekend. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly in terms of the definition, if Michigan plays well, who is probably playing well, I think Smith is a pretty good answer. If he has a bad game, I don't know. I, you know, with, with, respect to Zeb Jackson I don't know if Jawan Howard would even trust him to get out there in a high leverage situation and 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 win Michigan a game instead of hold steady which was kind of I felt like that was kind of Zeb Jackson's mission against Michigan State I think Jawan said something to that effect after the game I'm gonna go with livers uh mostly because I've written about it and already crunched the numbers when he scores in double digits in the last two seasons Michigan is 27 and 3 when he doesn't score in double digits, whether he is injured and not playing, injured or like coming back from an injury or or just struggling, Michigan is 11 and 12. So Michigan talks a lot about being a balanced offense. That's been a, a common theme that they've mentioned all season. But at the at the root of it all, if Isaiah Livers isn't playing well, Michigan isn't playing well. You know, they did beat Michigan State on Thursday when he scored nine points. But I, I don't think that's a sustainable formula. I guess the difference between nine and 11 isn't that drastic, but but I look at double digits as kind of who's who's really taking their turn in a game offensively. And and so I think he's someone that, that has to be a scoring punch for Michigan, partly because of matchups. If you look around the Big Ten, very few teams, now I argue Maryland is one of them, but very few teams have the wing players who can guard both Livers and Wagner in the same game. It's just not very common. I'd say Iowa probably could, uh, even with their defensive lapses. I think, um, you know, Illinois, I guess, in a sense, proved that they could. But it's not, it's not something that every team can can just say, oh, yeah, we'll put this guy on Franz and this guy on Livers. Most teams have to kind of pick one. And so, uh, plus, Livers is really good. I mean, you know, he was a guy who considered leaving early for the NBA. You know, I know he he wants to be drafted. Uh, He's been with Michigan through, I mean, he's been to a title game, for crying out loud. So this is someone who understands what it takes to do well in a postseason. And and so I think... um, I think he's someone that's that's on the spot. I mean, he's the senior leader. They have a lot of seniors. They have a lot of leaders, but he's like the senior leader, the captain. This is this has got to be his Derek Walton moment. His Trey Burke, his uh, well, I guess that 2018 team, maybe Mo Wagner. I'm trying to think who like really, you know, guys who really, really elevate their play when when Michigan needs them to the most. So He's someone on the spot. I think Dickinson's on the spot, I, but I think the fact is uh, they, they go hand in hand. If Dickinson's playing well, odds are Livers will be more open. 
if Livers is playing well, odds are Dickinson won't be double teamed as much. So uh, you can you can kind of pick. I, I do think this is a big weekend for Zeb Jackson. Uh, you know, I don't think there's some dire consequence. Like if he doesn't play well now, he'll never play well or anything like that. But he is going to have more of an opportunity than he's had all season. And, and I guess if you're, if you're a freshman, I, I, you know, I've talked to a few of these players over the years, this is when you start to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is when you kind of things start to click, you get your, your feet under you to reference Mo Wagner again in 2016. I don't know how, how many Michigan fans remember it. Cause it wasn't a very memorable postseason, but they won two big 10 tournament games and they won uh, the, the play-in game in the NCAA tournament. And they, they lost a couple close games. Wagner played his best basketball and that was kind of foreshadowing for the future. He was able to take that momentum and apply it to a strong sophomore season. So, and that, that happens occasionally. I have, you know, I could run through the list. Is this that opportunity for Zeb Jackson? I, based on how things look, I would be inclined to think yes. So I guess we, we said we weren't going to speculate on injuries, We've speculated plenty, but, but that's another guy on the spot. Shondi Brown, obviously, uh, you know, he's been kind of up and down lately. If he can be up another guy that, that kind of adds to Michigan's opportunity. So looking at the bracket, Steve. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over guys. All stars Four is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts it's the uefa champions league on paramount plus Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Kind of hard to tell who might actually end up facing Michigan, although it does seem like there's a top five teams in the Big Ten that are that are pretty well separated. I'm going to take Illinois and Iowa out of the equation because they're also top five teams. Of course, they should scare Michigan, even if even if the Wolverines beat Iowa kind of handily just a couple of weeks ago. So not counting Illinois and Iowa, which which team in in this bracket? Get, should should Michigan fans be the most worried about? Obviously, if Michigan were to win Friday, they would presumably play Purdue or Ohio State. There's a small chance it could be uh, Minnesota. And then, of course, there's the championship game as well, which could be a host of teams, but most likely Iowa and Illinois. There are some other teams in contention, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Penn State. So, Steve, looking at looking at that list, is there a team or matchup that, that kind of stands out to you as, oh, if Michigan ends up playing this team, that would be more worrisome than maybe it would look on paper? 
Oh, more worrisome than on paper? Because I was going to say Ohio State, but I think that's just naturally good, even though they've been struggling. Well, that's a fair one. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, my thing with Ohio State, uh, have gotten to watch them a lot this year. And I know they've they've struggled lately. They've lost a, a few games. Uh, but Dwayne Washington is a guy that has, you know, there's, there's guys where, you know, if you, you watch Michigan play and it's like, man, that guy hit like, three or four like ridiculous shots like that wouldn't happen again. I feel like every time I watch Ohio state play Dwayne Washington hits like a handful of just ridiculous shots feels like the kind of guy that if he gets hot and the, a f- couple other guys around him step up that they could be, I think by this in the snap of a finger could be really, really dangerous again. And uh, you know, I think Liddell with an inside outside ability against Michigan specifically can give Dickinson a little bit of problem. I don't remember how he played pretty well the first time they matched up. I want to say, right. I mean, um, you know, but, but could be a problem in that regard. And uh, they didn't, it was really mostly those two guys, you know, that was the other thing about that game. I think CJ Walker had a good game for them also, but guys like suing uh, Arns, uh young, you know, like those, none of those guys really did anything in that game. So, you know, I just, I still look at Ohio state. I do think Purdue still though, is I don't, it's, it's gotta be one of those two teams to me, although I will be interested to go for tomorrow. I think I definitely think Maryland, you know, has a shot to win that game. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Michigan will win. It's hard to beat three uh, team three times in any season, <laughs> but you know, I, I with Purdue's got Ivy, they got the, what's the, uh, the Haas clone has really stepped oh, up too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what lab they got that kid out of, but uh, you know, obviously Trey, Trevion Williams, but I still think Ohio state just cause I, I just, I just Dwayne Washington's should scare uh, opposing defenses with just, just this insane ability to hit difficult shots, you know? And so, you know, that those are the kind of guys I feel like every March we see a team or two, that has a guy like that, a guard that just gets hot in the postseason and can kind of will their team to uh, some kind of run. So I'm going to go with Ohio State. Yeah, looking back, this question might have honestly been kind of silly because it's like who scares you or who should scare Michigan more than the two or as much as the other than the two and the three seed. Well, I guess probably the four and the five seed, right? But uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Ohio. Well, actually, I'm going to go with Purdue. Ohio State, they are trending down. And I think the one thing Ohio State can play out of its shoes by doing, which is three-point shooting, Michigan can Michigan can slow that down. Now, Dwayne Washington went off, but that was a lot of three or four steps behind the line in track. You know, I, I, I think if I were looking at that matchup, I'd be, and I were Michigan's coaches, I'd be pretty comfortable Ohio State or Washington isn't going to shoot that well every time. Uh, so, you know, and they, and they cool, they um, limited Arns to, I want to say like nothing, you know, he's, he's a pretty good three point shooter himself. So I actually think Michigan can win that matchup. Plus I do think, I mean, that's really the only game Hunter Dickinson is, I would say dominated in the last two months. So I actually think that's a favorable matchup for Michigan. I think Purdue is a sneaky, difficult one. You know, there's a way you can, um, it's, it's Bart Torvik for, I mean, many of you know who that is, but he does advanced statistics, you know, kind of the same 
adjusted efficiency ratings and rankings and everything as, as Ken Palm. And you can actually adjust to like when the start date of the calculations are. And if you start it February 1st, Purdue is the number eight team in the country. Michigan, I think is number four, um, you know, Iowa, Illinois are in there as well, but Purdue is actually a top 10 team over the last month and a half. And, and I think quietly Purdue gave opponents, at least ones that have big men who can do this, the blueprint for cooling off or slowing down Hunter Dickinson, you know, in terms of making him go off his offhand, um, you know, kind of challenging him, making him post up a little bit more than he, than he was before. Don't let him kind of sneak under the basket like that little, little things, but, but things that added up. And so I don't feel like Travion Williams is, would necessarily win that matchup, but he could make it a slugfest. And then it becomes a battle with, with the rest of the team. Um, don't forget Purdue. Now they did, they weren't close in their game against Michigan, but it wasn't, it wasn't a game. I think Michigan was ever really truly comfortable in either. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a take your foot off the gas, just kind of coast in the second half. It was, it was kind of, it was Michigan was up by double digits, but they were never up by like 22 or anything like that. So it's, uh, slightly closer game plus Purdue has gotten a lot better. Plus Stefanovic is back. He was not playing in that game. You know, you can, you can downplay that, but that, I mean, he's basically the, their equivalent of Isaiah livers. So I think that's a, that's a game. I, I, I'd, I'd think twice before picking Michigan to win it. So we'll see how obviously the chips fall. One advantage for Michigan to be a one seed is if you can get by Maryland, a true bubble team, then all these other teams are going to beat each other up. You know, you don't have to face Illinois and Iowa. You don't have to face Ohio State and Purdue. You really only, you only have to win two games after the first one. Might sound, might sound really dumb to explain how a bracket works, but being a one seed can be advantageous in the sense that, that you, you don't have to, you don't have to face everybody. You know, you're not like a six seed that has to climb, you know, a three seed, two seed, one seed. Um, so it's, it's Michigan's in an advantageous situation. And that brings me to our final discussion. And that is what are expectations? What are predictions for Michigan in the big 10 tournament? Uh, Steve, your, your assessment, kind of knowing how the bracket looks, how Michigan looks and, and kind of what you think is going to happen. Um, I don't think Michigan wins it. I will start by saying that. Um, especially if they, if they don't have Brooks, which goes back to my idea that it's way more important that he'd be back by next week. You know, the, the big tournament starts next week, right? Selection Sundays on Sunday and then they, they mm -hmm. start, right? So, uh, much more important that he's back next week. Uh, I do think they beat Maryland tomorrow. I'll, I'll say they get to the finals. You know, I don't know if it's Illinois again. Maybe maybe they're motivated and shut that up, you know, um, and win it. But without I just without Brooks, I just too many defensive lapses over the long haul. I think somebody – the Big Ten is just too good this year, in my opinion, as well as Michigan has played. 
uh, for Phil Martelli to say that Eli Brooks is their MVP. I think the Big Ten is just too tough from top to bottom for them to win. Yeah, presumably would be two top 10-ish type wins in the semis and the finals to take it. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I think they'll win tomorrow. I don't, I, as far as who else pulls, you know, pulls it out, I got to think Illinois will make another run. They're just, Curbelo's emergence has just been so huge for them, you know, that I think they're going to be a tough team to beat, especially if, I don't know, is Wieskamp back for Iowa? I mean, I know that's another big injury storyline elsewhere, uh, you know, and I don't know if Iowa's not, definitely not the same team without him in there. So, you know, that's, I, I don't know. So I just, I don't think Michigan wins it though. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think they can. I just, if I'm predicting, I actually don't know if the championship game is a given. And, and that is related to a, a potential injury and, and the fact that Michigan hasn't, hasn't really been in this situation. I know they change coaches. I mean, there's so many parts of this that, that are new, but um, you know, it is, it is hard for the one seed to, turn around and win the big 10 tournament as well, especially, I think it was a little bit more common like a decade ago. I think it's less common now because there's so many other good teams, you know, Michigan won the big 10 outright championship and there were three other top 10 teams, top eight teams actually in terms of net rankings in the conference. And so I think it's, I think it's really hard to be that much better uh, plus, there is the mental battle. I mean, they're going to face a lot of teams that they, you know, they might be watching the film or doing the preparation. They might not have the same, like, you know, revenge factor or I would say taking a, an opponent seriously. And I think they'll take opponents seriously, but there is a different level of being like, I mean, ask fans what they think of Purdue and Ohio State. Those are top 10 teams. Nobody wants to play them, yet I don't think Michigan fans view them in the same category and so it, it will be interesting we'll see i mean it's up to the players to kind of depends how the players feel about those teams but i think those are both teams michigan would be relatively confident against which can be good it can also be detrimental so i'm i'm actually going to predict a semi-final loss uh i i think i think it will be very interesting to see how michigan is from a mentality standpoint because you are missing a player it, it and, and when Brooks goes down, you know, a senior captain leader as well, is it, is it not hard to just kind of think, ah, this weekend's kind of a wash. We'll focus on the NCAA tournament. Cause I've, I've heard from Michigan fans who have that thought and the players are not, you know, the fans and players have different mindsets, but, but I could see it being kind of hard and like, Oh, we already won the big 10 here. You know, like let's, this doesn't matter quite as much where some of these teams are going to be playing like their lives depend on it. And so that's something I'm, I'm keeping in mind. I hate doing tournament predictions because it really does depend on the matchups and, and how teams show up in a given weekend. But I would predict, I don't, I would not predict them to win. And I, I frankly am kind of thinking to predict them to lose in the semifinals. Um, Michigan has actually made three straight Big Ten tournament championships. So I could be wrong. I believe they're the, if they made it again, I think they would be the first team 
ever to make four straight Big Ten tournament championship games. But yeah, just just kind of tricky. Kind of, I think there's so many good teams in Michigan. If they're not shorthanded, they they they're slumping a little bit. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what they look like. But regardless, we'll be we'll have plenty of coverage on site, and then also uh, just overall coverage over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247Sports.com. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. There is one with Tim McCormick previewing the postseason as well. You can check that out. You can subscribe. You can throw us a rating. Uh, you can tell your friends about the podcast too. They might like it as well. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.